And seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Colossians chapter 3 and reading for our text the first four verses. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Colossians chapter 3 in the first four verses. This word is to those that are risen with Christ. It is not uh, put in the way of a questioning of it, but saying if this is the case, if ye are risen with Christ, these are the exhortations, this is the path set before you. What does it mean, risen with Christ? The Apostle, when he writes to the Ephesians, he tells those believers that it was the same power that was wrought in Christ when God raised him from the dead as is put forth in them that believe. A believer is a miracle of the power of God. There's nothing but the power of God that can create a believer and give him his crown. And that is inseparably joined with our Lord Jesus Christ, reflected in the ordinance of baptism, buried here with him by baptism into death, and risen again in newness of life. The ordinance ordained by our Lord so clearly sets forth that union of his people and of himself and tracing their spiritual life, their quickening to his quickening, his life from the dead, his people's life from the dead, bringing up from the grave and then being brought up from the grave of corruption and from being dead in trespasses and in sins. He's speaking then to those that hear the Colossians are uh, believers. In the very beginning of the epistle, he writes to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, and he gives thanks for them. He says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And in our text is pointing, pointing those believers, pointing them above, pointing them to where Christ is. In just these few verses of our text, how much does Christ feature in it? If ye be risen with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And all the time it is centering in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the Christ, the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head, he that should come into the world. And as he goes through this chapter, so he again is emphasising again and again what Christ is. In Christ, in verse 11, There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. And in Ephesians, he sets forth our Lord as breaking down that middle wall of partition, that barrier between Jew and Gentile, those two folds that Christ said, another fold, them also I must bring, Uh, there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And so Christ is emphasised right through uh, this chapter, really the secret of uh, vital godliness and religion is our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of mine hand. Without me ye can do nothing. I am the vine, ye are the branches. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, neither can ye, except ye abide in me. And our Lord then is still setting forth all fruitfulness and everything to come forth from himself. So this message, these verses, are to those that are born again of the Spirit, those that have been risen with Christ, those who have been partakers of his death, their sins borne by our Lord Jesus Christ and borne away and the sacrifice that he has made, appeasing the wrath of God, satisfying justice, and paying the debt that they owed. And so Christ has risen and given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Sometimes we might think if we are risen with Christ, if we are blessed with a new birth, if we are converted, then everything will be automatic. We will automatically have the fruits of righteousness and walk in a right way. But surely the epistles of the Apostle, the exhortations that are in them, show very clearly, like with the Corinthian church, many things wrong, they needed to be addressed and reproved, the churches needed to be exhorted. They needed to be shown the right way, warned of the wrong way, directed in the way. But what's the difference between doing this to the people of God or doing this to the world in general that lies in wickedness, that God has given to his people 
life. He's given to them a hearing ear. He's given them faith so that the word profits them. And he's not said like the children of Israel, the word did not profit them, being not mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so the apostle can write to these uh, Colossians. He can exhort them. He can warn them. He can set things before them, knowing that they are those that have a hearing ear and that they have a love to the Lord. They have a desire, a willingness to walk in his ways and to do that which is right in his sight. Right at the very start when the Apostle Paul was converted on that Damascus road, he immediately says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord certainly had that which he had to do, what he must do. Go into the city, it shall be told thee what thou must do. Not just, well, you can take it or leave it. You might be able to do it, might not. No, the Lord had to work for him and that which he was to, to do. And it is a great blessing when we hear of those whose first thoughts were about themselves suddenly have that desire that mirrors our Lord. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so we have here these verses that are written to those that have a hearing ear and to those that are desirous of walking in a way that pleases the Lord and that seek to be instructed and taught in the ways of the Lord. Dear friends, don't shut yourselves out from these words or these exhortations if you say, well, I don't yet have assurance that I'm one of the Lord's children or not. We read of those that were blessed in uh, the day of Pentecost that they that gladly received the word were baptised. And we shouldn't think, well, we're hearing the word, we're receiving it, and then suddenly this thought comes into our mind, but perhaps I'm not elect, perhaps I'm not one of the children of God, perhaps I'm not risen with Christ. And immediately this barrier comes down, I can't listen to this, I can't hearken to this, because it might not belong to me. But if the Lord has given you that hearing ear and that desire to hear, you know, dear Samuel, we are told that he did not yet know the Lord. But the Lord began to speak to him. And when he began to speak to him, he did not know it was the Lord that was speaking to him. You think, surely the Lord's people would know when the Lord is speaking to them? They wouldn't think it's someone they knew very well. Samuel would have known Eli's voice very well. You know your pastor's voice very well, the minister's voice very well. And he said, I think it was just a minister. But when it goes, happens again and again, and the beautiful thing, and quite often it's reflected in the testimonies of the Lord's people, that the Lord doesn't bless them just from one of his servants. It's more than one. They have to realise that it's the Lord speaking through the man. It's not just from coming from one man. It's coming from the Lord. And so... 
Let there not be a hindrance or that which stops the ear or makes the word to be shut out this evening. May we listen to the word and if we have that hearing ear and that word is, it drops into our heart, it enters in, it remains there. Remember with the parable of the sower, the Lord said to the disciples when they said they didn't know it, if you do not know this parable, how will you know any parables? Because that was a secret parable that was concerning hearing, concerning hearing the word. And concerning the effect that word had, it was the same word in each case. But only one brought forth fruit. And that is the secret. What effect does the word have upon us? Well, may it have that effect that only God can give this evening and bless that word to us. On to, with the Lord's help, firstly then, look at the exhortations that are set forth in our text. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. But before that, seek. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Seek and set are the two exhortations here. Secondly, there is a reason given For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then lastly, there is a prospect that is set before us. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That is the prospect set before us. Firstly, the exhortations. Seek those things which are above. Are there any here that thought, well, the only time that you seek in your life is when you are first beginning, when you are first seeking. And as soon as you have risen with Christ, as soon as you believe, then you don't need to seek anymore. Well, the Lord has said, that they that seek shall find, ask and it shall be given thee, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. But this word implies this, which is a true fact, that we never wear out seeking. Paul is writing to believers, he's writing to those that are in Christ, and he says to them, seek those things which are above. Seek them. How do we seek them? Seek them by prayer. Seek them in the house of God. Seek them in the word of God. Seek them amongst the people of God. It's emphasised here, not just any things which are above, but those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I've often marvelled at the wonderful plan and purpose of the Lord in ascending up above. I speak reverently, but 
It could have been the Lord would have said he would set up a throne somewhere on this earth. He said it was needful that I go away. If I go not away, the Holy Spirit shall not come unto you. If I go, I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, which shall abide with you forever. And the Lord then has ordained that his beloved Son go as the first fruits, as he first begotten from the dead, to be in heaven, to be at the right hand of God to be in the midst of the throne as a lamb as it had been slain to not only rise but ascend ascend bringing that cloud of captives bringing that assurance of the first fruits that there shall be those that follow after there shall be those that are brought to be with him. And so he can pray, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. How different that would be if he was somewhere upon this earth. How localised it would be. And yet with the Holy Spirit given and with his grace, his presence that is everywhere, in every nation, kindred and tongue, in every place, the Lord is there. His promise, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He is with us. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But his, as we say it in our articles of faith, the very bones and flesh that hung upon the cross are now glorified in heaven, we emphasize the reality of Christ's resurrection and ascension. His body, his bones, uh, they are nowhere else. And we hold fast to that truth. Those that viewed him ascending up bodily, the angel who stood by them. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? He that thou hast seen ascend into heaven shall come again in like manner. And at the end of the world he shall come. But while we are here below, in this time of the gospel, the time of the preaching of the gospel, the church of God have always set before them the Lord Jesus Christ, not on earth, but in heaven. And for this one reason, that they are to seek those things above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. What a clear separation between the world and heaven, where Christ was and where he suffered and bled and died, and where he is now in glory at the right hand of the Father. The Apostle takes it up in several different ways. In Hebrews, he says, Let us run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. And again, there is that looking above. The expectation of the people of God is above. The Apostle says of the Thessalonians, And to wait for his Son. Where from? From heaven. 
Those that thought that their loved ones had perished, that had died. He says, no, they haven't. They are with Christ. Where? Somewhere on this earth? No, in heaven. Their souls are in heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Not on earth, but in heaven, where the Lord is. And when the Lord comes again at the end of the world, them also shall he bring with him. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive shall be caught up with them in the heavens. So shall we be forever with the Lord. And so the exhortation is that we seek those things that are not of earth but are above. Seek Christ himself. Seek the teaching of the cross, the doctrines of the cross, the blessedness of the resurrection as the apostle sets it forth to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 and all that is bound up with that. The blessings that Peter sets forth, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. And to see those things, that we might get little glimpses of them through the word, through the ministry, in prayer. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And the second part, of the exhortation is set your affection on things above or mind as it says in the margin on things above not on things on the earth how often in the word of God the Lord does a contrast and he's very specific with the people of God they cannot serve God and mammon You cannot serve two masters. You can't have your hope below and your hope above. The evidence of faith in Hebrews 11 is that those that had faith, they embraced the promises that they saw afar off. They were persuaded of them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth and they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And so when there is a setting affections on things above, it is joined together with how we have our affections on things things below. The Lord in effect says you can't have your affections or your mind fully set on two places. It's either in one or the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Ye cannot be a friend of the world. Whosoever is the friend of the world is an enemy of God. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And the Lord says that there is not a middle road. There is not a halfway. And if you cannot see uh, that your affections are on things above, maybe it can be seen clearer that the Lord has taken your affections off things on the world. 
I know when the Lord first began with me, and I didn't understand it at that time. But he did bring me to seek and to attend every service I could, desiring to know the ways of the Lord, feeling my great ignorance and wanting to learn the things of God. But at the same time, the Lord dealt with me in my life, the rest of my life, my hobbies, my music, the choirs, the orchestras, the things that I mixed with the world and with those that did not know the Lord. And there were things that started then to jar, to come between us. And even without that, going to used to love to go to the great auditoriums to hear the orchestras and, and love the atmosphere of the crowds. And I couldn't work out why I didn't like that anymore. Why, why, why wasn't I happy? Why didn't I feel at home? Why didn't I want to go anymore? I couldn't work it out. I didn't know why. But now I do. The Lord worked on both sides. As well as putting a desire and longing for the things of God, he was putting a blight on the things on the earth. And Solomon says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity, emptiness, vanity. They are not my God. They are not what satisfies my soul. It's a wilderness. It becomes a wilderness. It becomes to have the curse upon it. And the Lord uses things, sometimes things that go wrong, one after another, disappointments and sorrows, to put a blight on the things below. As if the Lord would question us, have you had your affection on these? Is this where your hopes have been? Or as it has been above, is it but divided? And you know it's a very uh, searching word. You think of the case of Jehu, most solemn, a case where he could say to uh, people, come and see my zeal for the Lord. But his heart was not right with the Lord. He was doing the Lord's will in an outward way, but not with a pure heart. You know, Caleb, Joshua, they followed the Lord fully. Fully, we need it. Their redemption is a whole redemption of our whole body and soul and mind and affects every aspect of our lives. And so the exhortation is where our affections are to be and where they are not to be. They are to be above, our mind above, and not on things on the earth. Dear David says, I prevent the night watches, that I might meditate upon thy word. Jeremiah says, thy words were found, and I did eat them. They were to the joy and rejoicing of my soul. May be with us. We've had that. And then this distinction is blurred. We need the exhortation again. We need to be reminded again. We need to realise and remember maybe where, where we've left our first love. The world has began to take a hold where it should not. And our minds and our affections are not on things above. Don't deceive ourselves by 
outward things, and especially where we are in any form of service, of ministry, evangelism, or whatever it is, outward activity in the things of God can mask a great leanness and barrenness and emptiness. Don't ever replace outward works for the Lord for an inward work of the heart and a close walk with the Lord. Don't be deceived in that. The Lord is not. He sees the heart. And so the need of the uh, exhortations that come, you know, these exhortations are not saying, do this, do that, walk in this way, walk in that way. Yes, later on, there are things that, that are to be put off and things that are to be put on and all the works of the flesh. And how many of them, they start inwardly. They start at the heart. They start with the affections. They start on where we seek. It is not, and though there should be with a Christian, those fruits that are seen and known and read of all men, Yet the Lord says, out of the heart. That is where the Lord begins. That is where his work is. And that's where the true fruits flow forth. And so that's why the affections are so important. And the seeking is so important. And we're not to just calm our consciences and think, well, I did seek years ago. I found the Lord. I was blessed. I made profession the Apostle still writes to believers, still seek, still set your affection. He that endureth unto the end shall be saved. Well, there's a reason then in the second place that is given. And the reason is this. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Really there are three Reasons. Firstly, it is where Christ is. Why we are to seek those things above and why we are to set our affection there is because Christ is there. You know, if you had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and they were in another country, then if you had affection towards them, you would have that affection where they were. You would think where they were. You'd be mindful of where they were. And if we have affection to the Lord, it is here, emphasise Christ is above. And so because Christ is there, that's why we seek the things above. That's why we set our affection on things above. Because the one that we love is there. The one that redeemed us is there. The one that has gone before us is there. The one whose righteousness is imputed to a believer, to us, is there. And that is why, the first reason that is given, why we should set and seek those things above, set our affection on them. The second is this, that we are dead, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. 
as dead to the world. The Apostle puts it as the way of being crucified with Christ. When our Lord was crucified, there were two thieves, one each side. A very big difference in how they had recourse unto Christ. One said, save thyself and us, come down from the cross. And his thought was of the world and the things of the world. The other one prayed, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And his thought was above, his petitions were above, his asking was above. And really, he knew he was dying. He was on that cross. He was already dead to the world. He wasn't fully dead, but he was as crucified to it. And he knew it would issue in death. And you know we all are dying. And we all are dead spiritually. But when we are quickened into life, we are not dead spiritually anymore. But we are dead to the world. We are dead to the law. In the sense that Christ has made it honourable that he has suffered to put away the condemnation due to a broken law. And that law never has then a demand over us to condemn. The beautiful way that Romans 8 begins, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You say, but aren't they still in the flesh? Do not they still have the law of God? Are they not still sinners? And yet there is no condemnation. The law doesn't come to hail them, to prison, to condemn them. Why not? Because Christ has died. And Christ has fulfilled the law and made it honourable. He's nailed it to his cross. The people of God, in the beginning of this chapter, if ye be risen with Christ... But risen, risen from what? Risen from dead in sin. But they are risen from their state and condition in this world. And so dead to this world and dead to its calls and dead to Satan's calls. And it does call. And the old nature loves it. And so the realization will be the same as the apostle the good that I would I do not the evil that I would not that I do O wretched man that I am he sees another law in his members and you and I will find that as well an opposition within that we are to be as dead unto that call as if as much as before we were called, we were dead to anything that was spoken to us from the Lord and from the word of God, we were dead spiritually. Now that we're alive spiritually, it is as if we are dead to what we before had our ears open to. And so the Lord opens up the, the blessings that were once hidden from us and we never heard and never saw. And then says to us, it is to be as if now you are dead to all that you once listened to and followed and went after and loved.
and this is to be uh, how, how you view it, how you look upon yourself as being dead to the world. The third thing is this, that Christ is our life. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Lord has said, because I live, ye shall live also. One thing I think we so easily lose sight of, we think that we can get on without prayer. We think we can get on with being severed from the vine and not have a daily and hourly supply from the Lord. But the Lord will teach us, and sometimes very painfully, that we cannot do that. We cannot run kind of like a half-Christian. There is that in us that would love to have the world in Christ too. Old nature would. But the Lord will teach his people, and sometimes very painfully, you cannot. You cannot have Christ and the world. You cannot have them both. And in that way, Christ, when Christ is our life, your life is hid with Christ in God. Because I live, ye shall live also. We spoke of the vine. The branch cannot bring forth fruit of itself, neither can ye except ye abide in me. And the Lord exhorted to that constant prayer, constant access, constant going to the throne of grace, the constant communion. You know, the children of Israel, they had the manna every day except the seventh day that they had a provision of that manna. He withheld not the manna from their mouths. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. In the wilderness, you two take away the miracles of the manna. Take away the miracles of the water. What are they going to feed on? They need that from heaven. And you and I, we need that from heaven. No man can keep alive his own soul. No man can. It needs the Lord. The Lord to do that. To keep alive that which he has first quickened. And that is the reason given. The third reason given. Why we are to seek those things above. And why we are to set our affection there. Because that's where our life is. That's where the provision comes from. I think Mr. Ramsbottom in his book, The Bible Doctrine, simply explained. There's a question asked, how shall we know our election? And there was an old soldier there. And he said to the assembly, he said, as you know, he says, I'm an old soldier. And because of that, he says, my name is enrolled in a book in London. And he said, every month I get a pension. He said, I've never been to London. I've never seen the book. But because every month I get my pension, I know there is a book and I know my name is there. And he applied it. He said, I've never been to heaven. I've never seen the Lamb's Book of Life. I've never seen my name there. But because I get regular communication from God, because he feeds my soul, because he speaks to me through 
His word, I know that my name is there. And that way, I know my election. Receiving of that fullness of Christ, receiving that which comes from heaven. And it's a blessed thing. You might have asked the Lord, Lord, let me not be deceived. Let my religion not be a natural religion. And the way the Lord has answered it, he's withheld his presence, his blessing, his word. He's left us to ourselves. And we say, what, what, what's happened? I feel so worldly, so earthbound, so carnal, so dead, so far off, so barren. And the Lord is teaching us, this is what you are in yourself. This is what you are without me. Without that communication from heaven, you are nothing. You have nothing. You have no religion, no life, no fair faith. The word doesn't profit you. Nothing is of any value. But once the Lord visits again, then the heart is softened and then the ear is opened and then the word is held, held forth and then there is that flow of the sap, the life that comes from God. Know with the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins, those that were foolish, they had lamps, they had a profession, but they didn't have any oil in their vessels with their lamps. They didn't have a supply outside of themselves. The people of God have to prove here below that the supply must be outside of themselves. You know, if you went to a young child and you said, Where's your supply? Where are you going to get your next meal? Where where are you going to get your next lot of clothes from? Let's see your bank. Let's see your supply. I say, my my parents, they've got it. And they give it to me. I hope there's other ways that parents show their love and that those children are theirs. But a child that is watched over and fed and clothed and corrected and cared for, they've got a daily evidence that those parents are theirs and that they're their children. They don't do that to the neighbour. They don't do that down the road. And the Lord cares for his children and his people and he supplies them. And... This is a reason why we set our affections on things above and seek those things above because Christ is our life. For ye are dead and your life is hid with, with Christ in God. One then to look lastly at the prospect. The prospect. We read in verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And in that prospect is a binding together of Christ, who is our life. In Psalm 84, we read that he shall give grace and glory. No good thing shall he withhold from him that walketh uprightly. Those that are seeking the Lord and seeking his word. The provision is in Christ. He giveth grace and more grace and grace for grace. 
And he says, as he said to the apostle, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So where Christ is our life here below, the blessed prospect is this. When he shall appear, whether it be in our death, whether it be at the end of the world, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. At the end of the world, his people shall appear with him, coming with him in the clouds of heaven. And those that are his on earth shall meet him in the air. So shall we forever be with the Lord. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. An inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and reserved in heaven for you. A prepared place for a prepared people. A reward in heaven, that which awaits beyond the grave and that which faith esteems worth waiting for, worth seeking, worth setting affection on, worth counting as dung and dross all things below that we may win Christ and be found in him. How much do we walk here below seeking those things above and setting our affection on those things above. What prospect has the Lord given us? And what basis is the prospect we may profess to have? Do we have the Lord as our life? And we prove that we cannot do without him. High language, one of our hymns, isn't it? I could from all things parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. The one that realises this will realise how vital our Lord is to first quicken them and then to keep them alive, preserve them and to present them at last. Behold, I and the children whom thou hast given me, not a hoof left behind, but all brought safely to glory. Where their affections have been set, so he bringeth them and to their desired haven. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.